It is recording. It's official. We're back with another um, story goes uh, with, you know, your pals from SA 2020, the organization that drives progress toward a shared vision for San Antonio and KLRN, your local public television station. Uh, and it's me, Molly, and I'm here with Kieran. Hi, friends. And today we're um, talking to our, well, a friend of mine. I, I I feel like it's important to say that. And the guy who has made my house plant plentiful of plants. I, I just came up with that right now, plentiful. It's pretty good. Um, it's nice, um, which is important for the environment of my house. And speaking of environments, I would like to also mention that the story goes is brought to you by and sponsored by uh, CPS Energy. Do you like how I did that? I see. I see what you did there. It's really good. I, well, I'm impressed. David Nungarai, how are you, sir? Doing well. I got to watch Sister Act this weekend and definitely oh. spent, I know, spend lots of time with my plants and some friends and uh, gearing up for teachers to return and uh, figuring out all of the uh, distance learning, engaging some families this week uh, through roundtables and Zooms and doing more plants, as you know. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of everything. Before we get into the fact that you're like a small business owner and a community service minded individual in our city and the principal of a school, um, which is what we're gonna fully talk about. Uh, do you watch Sister Act for tips for your school? I, is that like <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg helps give you, like you're gonna she turn does, Bonham Academy into a fully singing space? Is She does bring people together. So that's mm -hmm. a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. She does guide them and helps them. Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of parallels. Mostly I watch the first some stress relief and laughter. Uh, oh, so good. And that's also important when you're leading a school during a global pandemic. Uh, <laughs> so all of the above. Oh, well yeah. done. Yeah, it's a good one. one. That yeah. one and um, number two, the second number one. Number two, it's two. on the deck. Yeah. Oh, and then I cry every time at the end. <laughs> I just basically use it as I want to make a t-shirt that just says, if you want to be somebody, mm -hmm. you want to go somewhere, wake yeah. up and pay attention. I got dogs barking in the background, so you know. <laughs> um, David, let's start first with, um, you were in the middle of your school year, well, mm -hmm. spring break. Yep, headed into the last quarter. When COVID-19 happened and everything shut down, you are the principal of Bonham Academy, mm -hmm. which is what, kinder through eighth? Kinder to, through eighth grade, we were celebrating uh, our 130th year of serving the community, which was awesome. And it was quite a different ending <laughs> than <laughs> many of us expected. So yeah, we were headed into the last quarter and the weekend right before spring break was ending, I was uh, at the beach and I knew I was coming home to a very different time. And we started getting ready really quickly with what you know things were gonna look like, what teachers needed, what families needed. Um, and yeah, everything since then has completely shifted our work as a school. Many of the things that we care about, like families and communities and dual language and the arts and the environmental science components of our school uh, are things that we're still keeping alive. And I think it's also made us sort of innovate in new ways. I know innovation is kind of a, a catchy word right now, but really 
uh, it's helped us do some things and, and change the ways that we work in ways that we maybe had thought of doing but hadn't yet done. Um, I can give some examples if that would be helpful. Um, but more so, I would say it was like a quick time to just shift gears and really understand like where are our families? What are their needs? Um, as you know, and probably seen in the news, like tracking families down was a big part of our efforts early on because it's different when you're in school, you have eyes on kids. And when we're in COVID-19 times, it's a lot more challenging. So there were, uh, you know, I, I look back now and I think we basically geared up for emergency teaching. Like there was no model um, that we knew of that would really guide us in like, what does this distance learning look like? But then there were also just like the day-to-day -day needs, right? Like families that were getting furloughed and families who had been experiencing or are experiencing food insecurities. Um, and then just like the end of year stuff that happens, like that stuff's really important for the culture and community of a school especially a school that's nestled in the heart of Southtown, right? That has many, many years of traditions and experiences. We had one teacher that retired who had been in the school for over 25 years. Oh my gosh. Um, what an ending, right? And oh. then you also had teachers that were ending their first year of teaching. What an ending. Oh, wow. Yeah. So lots of, lots of lessons learned. And, um, but yeah, when we reflect, we're like, wow, we were sort of in emergency times. Like we had to move very quickly and strategically. Yeah, that's a, certainly something that we've been hearing from leaders that we've been in conversation across all different kinds of organizations that this in many ways is demanding right innovation in a really meaningful way. And also I'm thinking of, for example, we talked to Willie Burroughs, who mm -hmm. is, of course, at SAISD at the central office. Um, and he shared that there was always a long term five year strategy and plan in place to um, get computer and internet technology into the hands of every student and every household. Yeah. Um, and then that was accelerated within a matter of weeks, um, mm -hmm. what was otherwise going to be accomplished in a matter of years. I, yeah. So tell us more. I am very curious to hear more about this idea of um, innovating in a meaningful way and what that looked like for y'all. Yeah. So I would say for us, um, engagement was really critical. And, and by that, I mean, you know, when you're in a classroom setting, in a school setting, in person, uh, engagement's pretty easy to gauge. <laughs> you can see, right? They're like a visual, <laughs> yes. a visual cue. Um, and we had to also, like, recognize, I think, the demands that we were suddenly putting on teachers, on staff, on families, right? Like, how many families weren't at home? Uh, I'll name some of our teachers, right? That were working from home, trying to teach their group of students while also making sure their own children were getting an education. That is real. Uh, and so we took on a couple of lifts. Um, we had previously done some programming called Friday Phenomenal, uh, which is basically like Fridays that we would take um, throughout the year and create some you know, innovative programming to get kids kind of off campus and engaging different experiences with different community partners. Um, so we actually converted that during COVID times into basically like a digital platform. Um, so yeah, there were all the things that um, Dr. Kenneth Thompson and Patty Salzman, the chief academic officer did, and certainly the foundation. I think the foundation stepped up in a lot of ways to also help us bridge some of those digital divides. But the programming, you know, having like Diego Bernal come and read to our kids, like from our Facebook Live, you know, we really thought like, well, we're at home. <laughs> Other people are at home. How can we use them um, in a meaningful way to then engage our families? 
Um, we also set out creating um, Bonham community challenges. So, you know, we, we know that one of the safest places to be generally is outdoors. Uh, and also just when you think about our like mental health and emotional health, um, which is really important um, always, but more so I think when we're quarantined and isolated and not getting those typical connections, you know, we found ways to connect with our families that were outside of the box. Um, so it was like, we had a Bonham mile challenge, right? Where people would walk a mile or run a mile or do whatever, right? And then post a picture. So social media became a really big game changer for us and how we, how we interacted with families. And then I would say um, with teachers, um, we also created these passion learning paths. So, you know, we're, we're pretty much driven by choice. Uh, I mean, that's a fundamental belief of ours is that choice matters. Uh, and when you have choice, you're more likely to engage meaningfully and deeply. And so our teachers, we kind of launched an initial passion learning path for our teachers. Um, and then the second, you know, we had some classes where they studied Brene Brown's work. Um, we had some other classes, uh, basically that were teacher designed, teacher driven. Um, and yeah, the, the, the calls were, you know, scheduled for 30 minutes and they would turn into an hour and a half easily, right? Just talking about coffee there was a, a passion learning path that was around coffee uh you know you need a little bit of juice to move in the morning um and those kinds of things i think are things that maybe we dreamed of a little bit or had kind of an initial sketch but covid19 and the circumstances helped us accelerate those things much more quickly and have given us a, a blueprint for what that kind of choice looks like hmm. i, I want to sort of talk about um, my understanding of what's happening, right, at the state level that's then sort of trickling down to our city um, and how the state, and at any point, because you're also a fancy COVID-19 pre-K 12 consultation group co-chair for the city of San Antonio, I got the whole name in there. Yeah, you do. Um, uh, <laughs> I, so I know that you're also thinking about policy and how to implement mm -hmm. here in the city. So what I'm gathering from the state is that statewide, we said, well, not we, people who are fancy and administrative and legislative said, hey, you have to take a student, if they must be in school, you must accommodate them in school for a school day. You may yeah. also do uh, distance learning. You could do it virtually, right? Um, and they took away or did not offer the opportunity for only a hybrid like some other states are doing. So yeah. the, the, to your point of like the stress on families and teachers and administrators is real. If you're asking a teacher or a school to mm -hmm. both give amazing instruction in person, amazing instruction virtually, and then maybe toss in a third idea of a hybrid, right? Like there were mm -hmm. so many things going around. Can you talk about how the state policy is influencing and affecting local schools? Yeah. So there's, I think it's kind of two levels for me. There's a level of we're waiting and watching. That's, mm -hmm. you know, th that's a part of the, the just, environment that we're in right because there are decisions that are made at a state level um both by elected officials as well as um, by tea the you know commissioner of education so there's that piece but then there's a, a kind of a second undercurrent that i would say is parallel is sort of 
trying to work quickly to project on what things might look like, even without waiting for them, right? So I think one of the things that we've had to finesse on a campus level, and that's probably true, I would say, when you think about our superintendent, um, our chief academic officer, our assistant superintendents, they're all working. Even the conversations we were having with families before we left for 4th of July, and then coming back and having, you know, the new uh, guidance in place. Uh, and then, you know, that was quickly changed. So like, it, it's just a, a changing environment and we have to be super flexible. Um, but I think one reassuring piece for me is just the brilliance of the folks that are at our city level. So whether that's um, the mayor, uh, Judge Wolf, Dr. Junda Wu, uh, the folks heading up the community response coalition, like there, there's like some tension that I feel or kind of that we feel as in the middle, right? Because the the people who implement plans at the campus level, the people who families look to is the school principal. That, and in those places where we have to both like sit and wait while, you know, we get direction, but also have to think through contingency plans to the contingency plans uh, is is really a kind of like a mind game. And on top of that, right, we're trying to engage families. So I have like some round tables this week. We're trying to keep our faculty like feeling safe and knowing that safety is our top priority. There's a lot of human emotion that I would say is is clear. Um, and we're also just watching the numbers, right? Like you can't, you can't look at the numbers. Uh, and we did some work with um, Representative Bernal uh, and doing some advocacy work, right, and kind of lending our voices to a broader narrative around what is right and what should be localized uh, decisions for us to make in order to to best meet the needs of our families. Like I, we I talked about, we have teachers or administrators or staff members who, if we need to return back to work, will need to also wonder about childcare. Uh, that's one piece. You also, you know, I think a lot about our kindergartners. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, um, you know, the kinder families, every single time they meet with me are like, you know, it's important for them to know we're thinking about them because for many of them, it'll be their first experience in school. Yeah. Um, and then conversely, I think we learned a lot about what distance learning could look like, but we were, I think we would, none of us would say that we were experts in it or that we knew exactly what it was going to look like. Um, and so families also now have a construct of what distance learning looks like. And so you, I think as for families, they find themselves in a place where they want their kids to be safe. They want their kids to be learning and not falling behind. We all get that. Um, but the, the emergency teaching that had to happen the last quarter has to shift much more rapidly um, now when we open. And we actually already know that we're going to be not opening in person, right? So what, one of the conversation pieces I have with many principals um, is around how do we get distance learning right? Like one of the, the things that will come out of COVID for sure will be these hybrid models. You sort of alluded to them, um, Molly, right? Like we've had to move, just like the district had to move their technology plan. We've had to move some of these hybrid models, even if we're not implementing them yet, like at least the design thinking around them has to be there. So we're, we're caught. I think in the middle, but I also, when I say caught in the middle, that kind of may have a negative connotation. I actually take that as a much more empowering way, right? Where I can look at my community needs. So I'm caught in the middle and like I have the, the information, right? That's coming from the top, so to speak. 
And I'm also very much like my ear is always to the ground um, and listening to families and students. Um, some of the roundtables will also be with students. And I, I'm curious to hear what students will say was good about our, our springtime um, and then what they're missing, right? Which I, might, I have a hunch about what they're missing, which is like okay. their friends and their teachers and the relationships. Um, some kids don't like thrived. Like, the, like we also know that, that some families told us like their kids were doing really well. Like they got the hang of it and they could manage it. Um, it, it there's no perfect solution at all. And I think everybody at everybody at every level knows that. Um, but it's just a matter of, of how much we can sort of get to the next place uh, while we wait and while we try to also look forward. I love so much as I'm hearing you speak, I'm, I'm hearing such a reflection of your leadership, David, in that that is situational. And it feels to me that you have a very deep sense of understanding and reflection of, yes, there are federal and state policies and county policies and local government policies that are affecting your work and your ability to deliver on the mission of Bonham Academy. And at the same time, you are recognizing that there's you hold power as a principal to shape and build community with families and with your students and with your teachers. And oftentimes I think it's difficult or it can feel overwhelming, especially during a global pandemic to know what our power is in relation mm -hmm. to all of the other forces that are operating around us. I really appreciate hearing that from you. And it makes me think, it makes me then want to know more about your leadership in terms of why do you care about education? Um, how long have you been doing this work? Um, and, and how do you take care of yourself? Yeah. These are all so great. I'm like, yeah, who the heck are you? And how did you happen? <laughs> how, how did you become this person? So um, this is, you know, para mi mamá y para mi papá que, que van a escuchar esto. Uh, you know, yo, yo creo que la, la educación es importante porque mis padres vinieron a este país para que yo pudiera estar aquí. You know, I often think, and I, I definitely, you know, have moments like many folks that come from minority backgrounds of like imposter syndrome, yeah. right? Like I became a principal at 30 years old. Um, that's not your traditional path. But why I care about it is, is what I just said in Spanish is because of my parents, right? Like they came here so that I could have like many immigrant uh, stories, you know, have better opportunities. But they really challenge me. They're all the way in California, but they really challenge me all the time to like step into sort of that collective wisdom, right? And also kind of having faith. That's a really important part of my family and upbringing. Um, why I came to the work of education was really based around social justice and equity. Um, I came here in 2010 when the first conversations, the roundtables were happening around SA 2020 and the vision of SA 2020. Uh, so in 2010 is when I arrived, you know, I got here and um, I've really watched the educational landscape. It's one of the things that I nerd out about pretty significantly. I, I grew up in Anaheim where it was like Anaheim Unified School District. And here there's like, I don't know how many districts so it's always changing. It feels like the number's always changing. Um, and they all have their own communities they serve, their own complexities. I've also been nestled between different communities. So I really learned a lot about that aspect. Um, why I care about it now more than ever um, is I really like that our, our future is in our kids. Like I, I see it every day, even as I'm getting to, to see these new kinder kids come in. I'm like, they're our future. And that, that really now having watched the first group of students who I taught 
uh, are now in their freshman year in college and that the last group of students I taught just graduated from high school. Um, they're, you know, I, I have a lot of faith in our youth um, and I also have a lot of faith in our city uh, and its ability to both, I think, celebrate its culture, but also like be pretty radical in its analysis of it too, right? Like also look at the disparities and COVID-19 has certainly highlighted those even more so. And, and you almost had like two pandemics that, you know, I've heard people talk about like the pandemic of like the health crisis, but also, you know, bringing to the forefront so many issues related to um, the recent deaths of black folks in our, in our communities. I, I live in Southtown. Um, so, you know, there was like a period of time where it was like a helicopter every single night. Like I would be working on my plants outside. Um, this is how I weave in my plant stuff. Uh, I would be working on my plant stuff outside and you know, the helicopters were going um, and you knew folks were protesting and like many of our youth protested as well. And I think, um, you know, all those things sort of sink for me in my head, like the, the sinking of education and policy, um, poverty, uh, leadership, like all these aspects really matter. There's one thing though that a parent said to me at the end of my first year of, of being principal at Bonham that sticks with me. And that was when she said, she came up to me it was at the end of the year and she said, gracias por, por ser un puente para nosotros which means thank you for being a bridge for us. And I think that like sticks with me. Um, my parents didn't always have a bridge to schools. And I think if I'm the school leader um, and, and I have the opportunity to be a bridge for more people, then that's what I'm going to keep doing. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like all of those things sort of, but, but like the, the need to take care of ourselves because that's big work, right? Like being a bridge builder is, is big work. Um, to like build a bridge with teachers, build a bridge with families, build a bridge with kids, build a bridge with our communities. And so in terms of like self-care and managing stress, um, plants are definitely like a big part of it, spending time in nature. Like once I knew like, oh, being outside is like much lower risk. Uh, I was like, great, <laughs> I'm gonna be walking, I'm gonna be enjoying the river, I'm gonna be enjoying nature. Um, and definitely, I have a little bit over a hundred plants in my house. Uh, and we started David's Plantas as a way to merge our passion for service um, with something that brings us a lot of joy. So it's it's been pretty neat to see that. You know, people ask me, like, how did you start a small business during a pandemic? Um, and I also think, like, small businesses are a bridge, right, to also, like, having people, like, have food on their table, right? Like, the, the families at Bonham who are also small business owners, in whatever way that looks like, um, is an important part. So we just keep supporting our small businesses. And I think San Antonio is, you know, that's part of our cornerstone as a community is that we care about supporting local and supporting uh, small businesses. Yeah, I want to, I want to pause there because I do want to talk about it. The, you know, COVID-19 happens, you're the principal of the school. You're like, oh, everything's got to go distance. Let's figure this out. Um, let's start figuring out how we can support our families and our um, people in our school, our teachers, our staff, our administrators. Um, and then you're also thinking about, right, joining co consultation groups to help figure out what local policy looks like and how we can open up and, and really serve families in this time. And at the same time, you're over here like 
hey, I love plants and I think more people need plants in their house. I'm going to go ahead and start a small business. And the business model is going to be that I'll sell these plants and then I'll also give money back to local organizations. And I feel like, David, maybe you're a bit of an overachiever. <laughs> that, that word I, has been used to describe it. Yes. I love it so much. You, um, there's something about you that I've, I mean, I've known you for a hot minute. Um, and you always exuded sort of this positivity and the idea that you started this conversation speaking about innovation and kind of like how that word has been sort of, it's weird now. And also that, that you are the, like when I think of an, in, in an innovator, I'm not thinking of, sorry, tech guys, I'm not thinking of the tech guys coming up with the latest. I'm thinking of people who are like, how do I make the most of what we have and make it easier for another person. And if it's, if it's building bridges or it's being one of the family members and thinking through sort of what that is, I, as soon as you launch David's Plantas, which is on Facebook and Instagram and all that, mm -hmm. we'll make sure that you can get all the links at klrn.org slash the story goes. Um, you, you launched it specifically so that you could um, not only bring joy of plants to people's homes, but also so that you could raise money for local organizations mm -hmm. and efforts that you um, support and appreciate. And I, I want you to talk about um, that business model. And so um, I've been doing plants for a few months. Uh, like I said, most of it for me was really about kind of uh, an outlet for stress and learning. That's another part of, I think, Kind of the facets of who I am is that I'm always learning, right? Um, and so, yeah, I learned a lot. And then um, I have a friend of mine who's a fellow uh, school leader. Uh, it, she's at Twain, and she reached out to me and said, "Hey, I have this, I had this dream that you and Jonathan, who's my husband, uh, started a small business selling plants in Southtown." <laughs> and what? so, yeah, that she said what she said. Um, Jenny, thank you, and. Uh, and we sort of, um, Jonathan and I talked about it and I said, okay, well, like, let's give this a shot. You know, I talked about imposter syndrome earlier. Like, I, I did not think that I would ever one day be uh, a small business owner, right? Like uh, a Latino kid, uh, you know, son of immigrants, like now LGBT owned uh, small business. Like these are, it is important for our I, there's two things that are important to me. One is like seeing more people like us leading uh, in whatever space we can lead in. And I think the second thing is knowing that we all have the agency to make some good for other people, whatever that yeah. good looks like. And so when Jonathan and I were talking about it, he sort of said, like, how do you combine what you love, right? Which is service to your community and plants. And so that's when we kind of talked through, like, how do we do this? Who do we go to? How do we start? Um, and we got connected to Thrive. Um, and, you know, we, we met with our friends from Thrive. Uh, I'd heard of Thrive. I knew the, the mission of Thrive. And it's one that spoke to both Jonathan and I, right? Like, I, it'd been a decade since I'd come out to my parents. Um, we also had a big win with the Supreme Court this summer, right? Which like legitimized like a lot of things. Thankfully, SAIC was already ahead of the curve. To be fair, we had a couple of big wins with the Supreme Court. We can talk about like that later. Like one right after the other, yeah. I was, um, yeah. And so, yeah, we, we met up with Thrive and we sort of said like, how do we design this model? Um, then we had a, our friend Harley from that cookie though reach out to us and say, hey, I want to help, right? Another small business. And we're like, let's do it. 
for us, it's really about elevating awareness around like all these causes that are near and dear to many people's hearts um, and bringing more awareness. Like I also happen to sit on the board of a, another local nonprofit and, and I just come off a board meeting where we said like, this is a tough time for us to be asking for money, right? Like part of the nonprofit work is raising funds so that your programming can continue. And knowing, I think as a, a a, a local nonprofit, like when to step up and when to step back. Mm. So that board in particular, we like said, Hey, we think we can step back because they're really pressing needs. And once we talked to the folks at thrive, like the needs were there, like there was no question uh, that the needs were there, right? Like how do you help LGBTQ youth who are experiencing homelessness navigate? And we saw it ourselves, like at a school level, right? We started a, a lend a pop campaign. Where we've raised almost $10,000 to give back to our families um, to buy food and to, you know, work with our foundation to, to get them support. So I just think when the need is there and we can step up to meet those needs that we should. Um, so then we, we just started. Yeah. Like Jenny called me and he, like said, she had this little dream and we started launching and we raised 5,000 over $5,500. Um, we had matchers and we had small business support and we had kind of a model that we designed, um, and then we started gearing up for, okay, so like, do we keep doing this? Like, how does this look? Then now we're um, in our partnership with Black Outside, who works with Black youth in our community and helps take them out into nature. Nature was a really healing part for me. Uh, obviously, being a school principal comes with many demands and um, a lot of stress, as you can probably imagine. Um, and nature was the thing that's brought me peace and it's brought me a lot of joy. So... I work during the day. That brings me a lot of peace and joy too. Uh, I love what I do, obviously, but I needed to find a counterbalance um, and plants have been that. So th to be able to combine those two things, um, somebody said the other day, like buy a plant, do good. Like what a simple, simple way of capturing what we do. Like you buy a plant, do good. Like that, I think we need that. Uh, all meet that. I think it brings us a lot of, um, emotions to be able to give to others but not in a way that's like patronizing not in a way that is just kind of like charity work right like but in a way that's really authentic because we we like you know we get our shoulders or what do you say like I, there's a there's an idiom i'm not good with idioms um roll your sleeves up mm -hmm. yeah, yeah roll your sleeves up uh, for us to do this work right like to raise money with a nonprofit, like we have to roll our sleeves up we did it with Thrive. We were doing it with Black Outside. We're going to announce our next nonprofit partner. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I love the model, but I think what I love more than the model is the impact that it's making. Like, mm. it's real. Like when we sat down with Thrive and said, like, what does this mean to your organization? I couldn't, I almost started crying, right? Um, one, because I was pretty privileged in having my family. No, it took them a while, right? Like, except uh, who I am. Um, not not all the youth can do that and get that same experience. And so, yeah, those are those are things that really matter to us. Mm. On Mondays at 6 p.m., you go live with all the plants that you have in your home. And you're also, what's amazing about this sort of model is you're supporting other small businesses as well. So you're yeah. buying plants from small businesses, you're buying pottery from small businesses and artists. Um, and then somebody can buy the plant, say it's 20 bucks, and you say, hey, round up. And anything over $20 goes back to the organization you're supporting. 100% of it, yeah. It is an amazing sort of social 
innovation, there's entrepreneurship that's happening inside of that, the idea that there's a supporting of local businesses in the middle of a global pandemic when local businesses need so much support, while also supporting nonprofits who are local businesses who need so much support. <laughs> I have shared this stat, and it's we know that it's an older stat because census is very old. Um, we wait for that, but more than 80% of San Antonio local businesses have less than 20 employees. They're small businesses, micro businesses in our community. They, small businesses are the backbone of our economic development in San Antonio. And I feel like there are, it's so important. You're exactly right. It's so important to sort of see who a small business owner is and what that person looks like. And um, support them. And there's this meme that's going around. that's like your first plant and it's like complete joy. Right. And then your 278th plant is still complete joy. I feel <laughs> this joy I have yeah. these plants in my house. They're so, I'm like, let me, Hey, what, what else you got? Like, I feel like you're, you're my plant dealer and I am so excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do it. Um, <laughs> we did a, we did a class, it was like a house plant 101, uh, and it was actually like all throughout Texas and the US. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, yes, yes to, to being a plant dealer. Um, <laughs> I also think it's like um, Harvey Milk talked about hope, mm. right? And one thing that I know I need is to know that there's hope. And, you know, what? the longer that we go, we're going to be in this a while, right? Like, we know that. Even if we can't totally wrap our mind around it, we are. I've, I've had a lot of anticipatory grief, a new word I learned about during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Um, oh. And we don't, I mean, we know about grief, but anticipatory grief is a whole different thing. Oh. And I need hope right? Like I need something to look forward to. So as much as we can deal plans, we also want to deal hope uh, and know that what we do as individuals and then as a collective can make an absolute difference in people's lives. Like once I really, once Greg from Thrive started describing to me like what that money does for people, right? Um, that, that made such a difference. We see it with our families that come in, in the San Antonio Food Bank. Um, we have a partnership with them where they come and give food once a month. I love the San Antonio Food Bank and what they're doing, what they stand for. Um, and I also love like Cafe Azteca, right? So Tyler from, Tyler, as I call him, from Cafe Azteca. Uh, you know, he's doing a dollar from each one of his masa pan lattes through, through the month of June. Um, we're working on our next small business partner for August, but you know, for, for a person who is probably like, you know, the, the pandemic has not been easy on small businesses. We know that. It's been really hard on, on many of our friends that we know personally. Um, but for him to say, you know what, I, I, I want to commit to this. I want to, to do something good too. Um, that I think is the beauty of, of harnessing kind of like these local uh, artists, um, local businesses, there's a space for all of us. I think that's the other thing I've learned in this, right? Because there's so many wonderful nurseries and I've made lots of friends through the plant world. Um, but what we found, especially when the Black Lives Matter movements were, are, you know, still going, but were especially, you know, I think in our community and very present, like we started learning, like where we put our dollars matters. <laughs> and we want to put them back in places 
that are then going to turn around and support the causes um, that we hold near and dear to our heart. That doesn't mean there's not space. What I, what I want to be clear on is that doesn't mean there's not space for diversity of perspective. There's, there's not, you know, we don't say that then because of that, there's a, a lack of appreciation for people who hold different views, for whatever those views may be. I just know when I spend a dollar, <laughs> I want it to go to a place that really does something with my dollar. Um, and that can be that economic fuel for a family, that can be the economic fuel for a city, that can be the economic fuel for communities. Um, I love what Tyler does at Cafe Azteca. Like, uh, you know, you, you follow him and you really see like a person with a story that resonates, uh, that means something. Um, and I, I really believe that the work that we're doing at David's Planta is very similar to the work that we're doing in schools, right? Is about honoring that story, honoring the story in people, uh, honoring the story in place, um, and honoring the story for the future. So if we can keep doing what we're doing uh, in our space, then that's going to make a huge difference for the people that come ahead of us. You've given us such beautiful mantras throughout this conversation. The ones that I'm holding um, close are be a bridge, buy a plant, and deal hope. <laughs> oh, those are good Check. ones. Yeah. yeah, a check, 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 all of those. <laughs> David, you um, that we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're a principal of a school. You're a brand new small business owner. Um, and you've basically just given us the formula for um, how we can still see our way through this. I just appreciate that you um, are, I, I appreciate the plants. Don't get me wrong. I'm very appreciative <laughs> of my plants. I am so excited that you're the guy that runs a school of kids. Like, I'm so happy that a group of kids is learning from you and that there is a space where you exist and lead and do and all the things. And I'm so excited for that. Uh, and it makes me very happy uh, that that's here in San Antonio. You can come back anytime. Like, we can talk, you want to talk again in two weeks and tell us where you're Yeah, it's a standing, a standing conversation. Any final words of advice or the only thing I'll leave you with because it's an important part of my daily routine um I I wake up each day and I just check in with myself and I, I think this time has made us feel and move in many ways right <laughs> like lord knows like I've had I think like we all have like many many highs and many many lows mm -hmm. um Somebody said the other day, we've made it through 100% of our worst days. And when I wake up in the morning, uh, I, I a quick backstory to, to why that's important is when I graduated from Chapman, I knew that I wanted to not do what I thought I wanted to do. And that was, had to be okay. <laughs> I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer uh, and eventually a judge and then eventually, you know, Supreme Court, like, you know, president, like, well, I knew I had to work towards the future. Like that was part of my coming out of my undergrad experience. I had to work. And so I get to do that with youth um, all the time. And why I, I want to leave with this morning check-in is because like our bodies tell us a lot. If we just listen to them, uh, they, they can move us. And even on like the hardest moments of my hardest days, uh, I just, I think it's important, incredibly important to wake up and just check in with myself before I check my phone, before I check in with my husband or check in with my puppy. Um, 
And if I can keep that going, I think I can be a stronger leader for other people. Uh, you know, nobody can, what do they say? Like nobody can uh, pour from an empty cup, right? Mm. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to keep my cup full. Plants is one way. Being a principal is another way. Serving my community is another one. Um, but I will keep checking in with myself and I encourage people to do the same. Wake up, just check in with yourself. And I think that will make for, for us to, guide our, our way through this through this thing we're all experiencing i'm happy you exist in this city same thank you for your leadership uh i look forward to talking to you probably every monday at about 604 <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for for being on here with us absolutely thank you all too appreciate it and much much love to san antonio Yes, I think if you know, we, we need all the love we can get right now. So if you're listening, we love you. I tell my kids that when I Facebook live with them, I Facebook live with my kids weekly, uh, with families too. And, and they just like, it's so important to tell people you love them. Uh, so wh- whoever's listening, we love you. We love you, San Antonio.